You are now listening to Las Cruces People Podcast with Sergio Pena. With all due respect, fuck the irrelevant bullcrap. What you can do is go and suck an elephant's ball sack. Matter of fact, slurk a religious, do a swirly straw, but a late night and afternoon of the early morning. It really don't matter, just go tongue juggle wolf nuts. What up, what up, everybody? Welcome to Lost Cruises People Podcast. This is Sergio. I know it's been a while, but I'm going to return, deliver some more podcasts. And today, got my my first guest, special guest, straight out of Lost Cruises, outpatient. Welcome to the show. Straight out of low cash, buddy. Now, do I call you, is that what people call you? Outpatient? Do they call you Sean? Yeah, you can call me Sean, man. It's all good. Sean. Don't matter. So I was telling Sean that I really don't know Sean. I just know him through music and social media and memes. That's, That's all I true. know about you. <laughs> do people, is there a lot of people that really know a lot about you? Or do you stay kind of low-key? Um, and honestly, in town, it's just pretty much the people I know, but I don't really ever stay low-key. I just, I don't go out as much if you mean that. I don't ever do that pretty much ever anymore. And it's not, unless it's a show or a concert or something, I'll go out. But uh, the rest of it, I just... Um, man, so what I wanted to ask you is, are you, are you originally from Cruces? Um, in Inglewood. Moved around a lot as a kid. So, um... I lived in Inglewood, then we moved to Westchester. Then I moved to Boulder, Colorado, age five and a half. Then back to L.A. and Westchester, and then to Cruces. So I moved around probably like uh, six different times from it up to about age 11. And a lot of that had to do with my mom being single. She was a single mom up to age I was nine. And then uh, after that, you know, they got more situated, and it wasn't so – we were no longer poor kids after that. We were suburban kids. At about uh, age nine, as opposed to the poor, broke-ass kid. You know what I mean? So, And that, how'd y'all end up in Las Cruces? Um, what happened was, is my stepdad, John, his his dad had a his, his dad had a job out in NASA. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, you know, even in the, the 80s, bro, fucking um, the, the cost of living, even just to rent a house, was like a thousand just for a, a three-room house with uh, one bathroom, one living room, one kitchen one dining room, mm-hmm. it was a thousand bucks. And we moved down here and can own a house. And it was, uh, I think their mortgage payments were 800 a month. And then he made pretty much uh, the same amount. So, you know, when you're living out in Los Angeles, it's, it's just, everything's more expensive. Like it's, it was a third of the cost down here. So it was a no brainer for him to move down here. But, but yeah. There, was there family or what? Like- yeah. It's, it's his, his immediate uh, family, his dad, and uh, we ended up we ended up moving out here. And uh, you know, I was the new kid. I was kind of an asshole. I was being real <laughs> cocky because you come here and you know I have Disneyland, Magic Mountain, Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. all that cool shit. Well, they got Western Playland. So yeah, I was a real mouthy asshole kid. How old so, are you um, in Las Cruces? Well, and, and and the thing is, is it's a melting pot in Los Angeles, man. So you don't really care about like races at all. And then you yeah. get here, and they're like, "You're the new white kid, Gringo Salao." So you know this big time. <laughs> yeah, dude, I got beat up a lot in middle school. They ta- I love Mexicans though. They taught me how to fight. So you know, like it was like having a big brother. 
I was talking to this ex-girlfriend who's a white girl. Oh, you know her. I don't want to say her name. Mm-hmm. Um, well, why not? That's okay. Lindsay? Let's not give her fame. Lindsay. <laughs> you know Lindsay? Lindsay something. Chakra? Um, I'm trying her. to remember. She, works, she used to work for the Radio Las Cruces for sales. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, she was telling me that being white in Las Cruces is a problem, right? Well, obviously, I'm not white. I never knew that was, like, a... It, it is if you care about it. It really doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't. Like, uh, Mexicans are the easiest going, coolest people as long as you're a good person. If you act all stuff, if you act like an asshole, they'll whoop your ass. That's just how it works. So you got here, you got <laughs> like, to Las Cruces at what age? Yeah, I got here at 11 years old. And when, when did you start, uh, so you get here, then when did you start, when did you get interested in rap? Well, I always loved rap. I was like the nerdy kid that liked Yo! TV raps. I'd stay up late and just listen to Yo! TV raps and stuff, and I'd literally tape them and go buy the songs and stuff like that. So I've literally, so probably about like age, I don't know, maybe like 12, about age 12, child? I just really got into it. But, uh, the, you know, I like the other kid. music too. What's that? Are you, the, are you the only child? No, no, no. I got an older sister and I got a younger sister. But she, my younger sister didn't come along until I was like 13. My older oh, okay. sister is four years older, and she's uh, she moved out to Vegas. But I blame my sisters for getting me into rap. Yeah, yeah, no, and and actually Jennifer is probably responsible for a lot of it because, uh, you know, well, my neighbor actually gave me a tape from Run DMC, and that was when I was in L.A. But I fell in love with that, and then I just listened to that while I was playing Nintendo. So I was playing Mike Tyson's Punch Out and Zelda and all that stuff, and rocking out the run DMC and shit, but, uh, you know, I always got the tapes, so the, the, the tapes is, like, pretty much old school, but she started getting into the stuff that was, like, trending at the time, so, like, in 89, there was JJ Fad and Supersonic and Rob Bass and all that shit, so she would just, she knew all the dances, I mean, she was cool, <laughs> I was not cool at that age, and she was very cool, like, everybody loved her, I, I think it's... that's just the Aquarius thing, like, they get along with everybody, that's what she was, or she is, um, rather, Aquarius. Yeah. Well, oh. she's Miss Congeniality. She had like shitload of friends, dude. I had like mm-hmm. two friends. So did it take a while <laughs> for you to fit in to Las Cruces? No. Well, after I stopped acting like an asshole, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was just a lot of. It was just an adjustment. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like anything. You act cocky and you get what you pay for. You know. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you start? Uh, when did you start writing raps? Um, I started off, and this started off uh, corny as shit, but I wrote this girl a poem, and mm-hmm. it started off listening to, uh, um, what the hell was it, Pink Floyd, and then it was okay. Wish You Were Here, so I took their whole thing and then wrote a whole thing, and uh, so I read it to my friends, and they all started crying and shit. Middle school? High school? Yeah, this was, I, um, no, what I did in, uh. What I did in high school was I would I would literally listen to like uh, Souls of Mischief and Far Side and then just write their lyrics down and then rewrite it to see how they structured song stuff. Oh, so that's what I would do. Kind of. Well, and it was just to give me an idea of what you're supposed to do. I mean, if this was on TV, that's just pretty much official. So I just was, you know, kind of taking it seriously. But it was more just to know the words so I can sing along and stuff like that. And then and when then- I when I first started writing my own stuff. It was, I broke up with some chick, and I was listening to Wish You Were Here, and it was the softest, gayest poem ever. 
history of life, but it was funny as shit. So, but uh, <laughs> it, it didn't get her back or anything, but I read it to my friends, and a couple of them got all teary-eyed, so I felt pretty good about myself. So you weren't shy about sharing your rats to your friends? No, not at all. Not even, not even a little bit. Just because I had, I had a friend. Uh, his name's Fabian Silva, and uh, he could write his ass off. Like man, he just was. He had, he had a large vocabulary. He just knew words I didn't know. I had to look up shit that he would put down. And uh, so, you know, I had friends that were good at it already. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, there's a couple other people that were doing it at the time, and that was Chaz and this other kid, Eric. And Chaz was uh, just, you know. Charles and me became friends in Mayfield, and then uh, and then he was recording already in high school with his brother. Yep. So when they when I first heard a tape from them, just blown away. It was fucking amazing. Like I was like, you guys are already oh. doing it. You're doing what I'm seeing on TV. You guys are fucking gods. So they're already recording by high school time. Yeah, yeah. He was oh. putting on tapes and everything. Charles had his own style developed. He had cadence. He knew how to land punchlines. He's he's really good. Damn. Okay. I didn't, I mean, I used to take rap, I used to rap, obviously, you know that, that's how we met, but man, right. it took me a while to like, I was embarrassed to show people. Well, but, and I was too, but the, I've been, the only, the only time I started to develop was when the, in college and stuff, because at the, in the high school time, it was cool to watch our friends do it, and I'd try to freestyle and shit, and I was terrible, and uh you know, as you got older, you'd have cipher circles and stuff, and that was more of the kind of the this is the pre eight mile before it became like this, you know, this popular thing. So you'd have people that came in from out of town, and they were just good, and you didn't know where it came from. And there was a guy named Joe Trinidad, and Joe could could rhyme his ass off like he was just amazing, like he's a professional rapper, like he's just good and. I didn't know how he was this good, but I just kept hanging out with him and freestyling with him and shit. And uh, so, he and him became friends, and he was recording songs with uh, this dude, Jesus. Jesus Mondragon, the, the a.k.a. Dutch, is uh, the dude that... Oh, yeah. These are the guys that I met at the, the youth center, and they were battling. And when they were battling, they were, they were like, getting at people, telling them, like, you know, they're too fat, or just punch lines, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like... Uh, the name's Dutch, homie. Better show some respect for us and snatch some beads off your neck. And the whole crowd's like, ooh. You know what I mean? And he came up with it on the spot. So it just made it more interesting to 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 do. You know what I mean? So you're seeing these people that are way better than me. And I'm I'm around them all the time. So when I'm trying to write songs and stuff, I would literally have a friend that would go through it and say, here's what's wrong. This sucks. Do this again. Rewrite this. This is bad. This isn't interesting. You need to start over. And, like, having friends like that, like, it makes you better. You know what I mean? So I was the same as you, dude. Just I sucked. And then you just developed. At this point, have you recorded yet? Yeah, I did. I had one. Uh, <laughs> the song was called uh, um, Shifty. Uh-huh. And uh, it was just this uh, this this funny-ass multi-thing. So I didn't know how to land bars, so I figured if I rhymed every word that it would land okay. <laughs> that was the best way to do it. I, I honestly was, you know, trying to find, uh, um, try to find almost every other syllable that would try to fucking rhyme. Sorry, I don't mean to cuss. I don't know if it, that offends people, whatever. My point being is that, like, the whole thing was, was just a multi. The whole verse was a multi. And, uh, you know, 
and that was just that was just a cheat code for me to get get my land my verses and figure out the timing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so once I started figuring out that you don't really necessarily have to do that. At first, it's interesting to listen to, but uh, um, then after a while, it's like okay, you gotta kind of learn to structure a song there. So, at this point, I mean, was race always? something that stood out as far as uh, when it came to music and your friends and being in Las Cruces by this point still? Well, and then you got to understand there's always that kind of pipe dream that all your friends have around you. I mean, they build a studio and they they start thinking of wanting to sign contracts and do all this. It's like you're trying to get the, the carriage before the horse. You got a lot of kids that are thinking that they're going to be NBA all-stars and they're not even playing JV in high school. So it's just right. a lot of that is really just development and then just you know and i don't mean i'm not taking shots at anybody i'm I'm just saying like there was a lot of pipe dreaming going on and yeah of course you start to kind of see the 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 reality of it versus you know well what the expectations are and so forth you know well when we're young all those dreams were nice weren't they no it's great man it's great it keeps, yeah, yeah. It keeps you hope keeps you moving forward it's good stuff no, don't get me wrong and, i'm just saying in terms of uh yeah, yeah, you know, idealistically versus reality, you know. And at this point, were you always just uh, was race still a factor? Like, were people being cool with you? Or oh, it's always a factor, but it's not really like uh, like an ordeal. Like, it's not right. from uh, you know what I mean. It's not like it. Like, it, I didn't care. I didn't care as a kid. I didn't care as growing up. Like, I always, I make fun of it, but I also make fun of white people because of the fact that there's certain funny idiosyncrasies that white folks have. So right. me being a white dude, it's okay. I don't give a crap. I'm going to make fun of me. <laughs> I'm going to make fun of everybody else. So mm -hmm. it's one of those kind of things where, I don't know, it's not for the faint of heart. So if people get super sensitive, they, they usually just unfriend themselves or whatever the fuck, you know? But you were the, you're the only white guy at this point in, in the crew, right? Because Dutch is Mexican too, no? Well, Jesus is half white and he's half Hispanic. And then uh, Flawless was half Puerto Rican and half white. So there was just a lot of halfers going on so you know i just it wasn't like a thing you know what i mean it, it was more i think i find that the the issue of race becomes a thing more with mixed race because they have to deal with you know acceptance from both sides and trying to get it whereas as a white dude it didn't really matter they just automatically assume you're a dork and that's it right so at this point if you're out of high school I'm assuming is Chad still in town at this point? Chad has been there, and then he, I think he ended ventured out into Phoenix when he was like either 20 or 21, somewhere around there. But it might, I might be wrong about that. But I think and it was Doug about was 2000. I think it was about 2001 he ventured off. But he was pretty much my main source in terms of, of being around another MC, uh, along mm -hmm. with Flawless that that records. I so, like Flawless or Joe rather. I've always been a fan of Flawless. He was right yeah, Flawless there. is uh he's just that dude. He's you know, some people have that natural uh natural gift. Flawless is that dude. Like you know how Ed Contube has that natural voice? Like his he's got that voice that's like a it's a fucking fantastic voice. Flawless yeah, yeah. has the voice and the, the the cadence, the the lyrics, he's got everything. He's the full package. And it's just it just goes to show you that that uh um I mean, you could have the whole package, and and it's just people are, will respond to whatever is 
live at that time frame. Not to mention, you know, the, the like I said, when I say pipe dream, I mean like uh, you literally need like at that time frame, it'd probably be like forty thousand a tour. Nowadays, it'd be like sixty thousand just to tour the whole U.S. Two hundred thousand mm-hmm. to promote yourself to make it make sure that you're successful. You know what I mean? If you have people to invest that amount of money. You'll blow up like little Dickie or something like that. So it's it, that's a that's a foolproof plan, guaranteed thing, versus yeah. just the talent of something, you know. So flawless was like, uh, would you? He was like a mix of Busta and yeah, a mix of Busta and Eminem, and I mean right? just, just full, just lyrics, just animation. He's just incredible MC. So he's just he, he had that natural gift, dude. Like he could literally put down the mic. For ten years, get pick it back up and still destroy shit. Like he just has a natural gift. And now, at, so where are you at this point of your life? Are you like still rapping? Or are you just kind of like I don't know? Or no, no, I wanted to do it, but then I, you know, life gets involved with, uh, you know, your life gets involved before, you know, I try to put the music first, but then life gets involved before anything else. So at the time, I just started selling cars and I got married. So it was just a lot of other shit was going on. You know, I was thinking about trying to have kids and stuff. Yeah. See, I I was married from, uh, yeah, dude, I was married from age 24 to age 27. Good girl, too. She's just, uh, I'm not really religious, and she's too religious. She's very, very religious, so it just didn't work at all. Oh, wow. I didn't want to go to church. a big factor? Well, I just, I didn't want to go to church every Sunday. And Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I just. There's certain shit that me and her didn't really see eye to eye on, and it wasn't just that. There's a that's a tip of the iceberg. It's just the fundamentalist stuff. I just didn't live by. Because I, ne- I honestly, man, I never felt anything. I never felt Jesus come into my life. I never felt God or any of that crap. I, I knew that there's a, the universe has karma and there's there's energy in your souls and your archetype, but I don't feel like there's some supreme being in clouds telling us that we should or shouldn't do shit and waiting for us to fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just it seems so absurd. So to me, yeah, that was like way. the. I'm the same way. Yeah, I, but you know that it, that it it wasn't just that. It was just the pious stuff that came along with it. I I you know it, it's that whole thing of uh, I know more about God, so you're beneath me type of thing, and it just became this. I don't. I well, I just don't need to be around people like that. And I don't no think kids, every Christian's right? like that. I just think that for the most part, the people that I had dealt with had pushed me away from that shit. So it's like, you know what I mean? I don't, it wasn't for me. And she was a part of that whole thing. And it, you know, and uh, it, that was probably one of the, one of the main reasons we ended up uh, breaking up. But at the same time, like with the car sales and whatnot, and uh, you know, I had school, I was going to school, trying to finish up school. And uh, you know, so there was just a lot of stuff pulling me away from focus. So the only time I get home, I'd have like two, three hours, and instead of being a good husband, I'd fucking start writing music instead. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my only way to writing my way to sanity in, in some instances, but it kept me sane. And uh, you know, good. having flawless and Dutch around to watch over what sounds dope and being honest with me, I started developing and getting better. But it took about. To actually start start sounding good, it took about for me. I was a late bloomer, dude. It took like eight years to finally start sounding like I was okay. You know what I mean? You, so you find your voice, right? And and uh, landing cadence and punch punch lines and so forth, and just uh, you know, yeah, yeah, actually sounding good outside of 
outside of just uh, to myself. You know what I mean? So um, a lot of the stuff that I would have issues with is just uh, trying to enjam and try to write rhymes with uh, too many lyrics in them. And it would, it, I could do quick shit, no problem. I could write quick, you know, the triple time or double time easily because it's easier to do. Mm-hmm. But when it came to writing slower, I would struggle. I would struggle with that. So the easier way to rap for me was to rap fast because it was a shortcut to everybody liking it because they like to see the the spectacle of the fast rap. Right. But then when it got to slowing down songs, I would struggle. Like it just it wouldn't land right. It wouldn't sound right. It, you could tell right away that they're like, okay, he needs to develop a little bit. So, you know, so now, that took a little bit of time. So now 27, divorce. And at this point, have you released uh, your first album yet? No, right? No, man. It, the the first album, it literally took me like three years. And we had, I had put way too many songs on there. Uh, it looked, uh, I know you I, I put like songs. 25 songs on the first album. Like it was just, you know, you want every song on there. And since I'm not on some label, I'm like, oh, I want you to hear all my songs. You know, yeah. <laughs> like there's some and stuff is, that I don't think everybody wants to hear, and I still put it on there. <laughs> and it's uh, what is well, your first album called? What Incor? Oh, Kerosene Therapy. Oh, that was a. This isn't the Seek and Destroy. Um, that was a part of it. Uh, Seek and Destroy was no Seek and Destroy was on the second album. The first album had like. Um, that was uh that had more of like uh I'm leaving with Joe. I had a collab that, with Joe. That's not on your website, right? No, no, no. I in in fact there's some of them that uh that I still need to that, a lot of them are still kind of left over from SoundCloud and stuff like that. But the second yeah. album I have more of and the third album I have more of. The first one was more of development, so it's like like I said I wanted everybody to hear it, but you know, as time progresses so like this so you're just putting, you just wanted people to hear you. Right. Pretty much. How many albums are you in now? Well, we did, uh, I, I did three, uh, three albums and, uh, and an EP with, with C West. And I did a shitload of collabs. So it's just a lot of collabing. So I finished the album and I do a bunch of collabs that I promised people I would do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then I go back to the, the grind of, of, uh, putting another album in. And then, you know, so when I, it comes to that, it's either uh, I would take a beat from from a couple producers on SoundCloud or through Chase Moore or uh, through Dutch. And that collage of songs actually made for a good album. And that was the Incorrigible album. And then the and third the, one was just solely Dutch. I just wanted it to uh, be a whole uh, whole album with solely Dutch. The only one that, that wasn't was a Chase Moore beat that I did with Sean Price and Rusty Jokes and, and, and Joe Trinidad. So your first album solely based or uh, released on uh, SoundCloud? Yeah, I got that one. Um, I tried to I tried to submit the um, the My Life to the radio, and they just said that it wasn't to the, I guess of the mix down that they would want and the quality that they would want. But keep trying. So we yeah. just kept kept knocking, and eventually we got one with uh, me and C West, <laughs> and that one got on the radio, and then the other one was Mighty White. I, I thought I remember thinking that like the radio is the was the biggest thing, right. and uh, gradually as I you know you get older you yeah you know, they have satellite radio now so you can pretty much get it everywhere you know what I mean so I just used to think that it was so one dimensional like you could only do it in your town, and then I discovered that 
El Paso had a scene and El Paso scene, they were like, they have heart and they have shows like pretty much every two weeks. So that kind of opened another field and I stopped caring about the radio. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I used to just think that like, honestly, when I was in college, I used to think if you, if you got your shit on the radio, you were the man. And it's like, oh, there's so much, there's so much more than just local 103 or I'm not trying to take shots at them. They're not, they're a good radio station. I appreciate them. But uh, at the same yeah. time, it's not just that there's satellite radio. There's, you know, with the one that I did with Chris, I got on, uh, you know, there's, there's radio stations that played in Chicago, Sacramento, Phoenix, and then 104.3 in El Paso. So for, for songs that we had trouble struggles getting on a 103, if, if something doesn't work, you try something else. And then finally, eventually they put the songs on. So it was like, Cool. But it wasn't well, until, like, you found out other places that you could do something that they finally were like, hey, you know what? We like this song. We're going to use this song and so forth. So Well, now we have more options to put out your music. Right. But but definitely at the time, I mean, I used to work at Hot 103, and, man, I used to think that was a big deal. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm working at No, no, and, and don't get me wrong. In some instances, if you've never been, it, it really still is. It's no, just it's for me, like, how... I, I didn't see... I didn't see anything outside of that. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I was, it, so it was, it was a very, wow, if you did this, you really did something, you know? And it, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, little yeah. did I know the rest of the world needs to hear you, you know? Now, this last album you put out, which I've been listening to, this, is this, uh, would you consider your best material? Um, best up to now. I mean, it just, um, I'm, my whole thing is just trying to improve. There's a there's a lot of stuff from the the prior album that I like that I that I hold dearly that I think that was just awesome like the burn it down there's stuff that the how many guns with Sean Price love that song and never never met, made an album or anything but I, I think in 2005 I heard Monkey Bars and Monkey Bars was my favorite new album because every everybody was obsessing over Eminem and all these other people and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and then I started listening to Young Jeezy and I thought, God, this is terrible. And then I heard some underground rap that was like, it was called Monkey Bars. And this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. It was just, the guy was witty, sarcastic, funny. And he was, he was clever with the wordplay and just uh, a rap nerd. Like he could put words together that didn't seem like they would fit. And and just the multis and just... He, he was ever so casual with how he delivered it. I literally, Sean Price, it used to be Redman, but I, you know, I fell in love with Sean Price's cadence, like the way he delivers shit. And it, and it, and it weirded me out because, um, the reason he, the reason it weirded me out is I figured this guy should be famous. This guy should be like Biggie or, or this guy should be like Pac or something like that with this level of skill. And it started, it, what happened was is at that time when Sean Price had came out, the South started taking over. So lyrics were no lo, lo, no longer relevant. It didn't matter if you had a bunch of lyrics. And it still mattered to the people that appreciated like New York, but New York was no longer prevalent. It started becoming South and Georgia and Texas and all this stuff. So lyrics wasn't the thing. It was just if the beat knocks and just makes sure it sounds good with the catchy hook and you're good. And, uh, you know, that's why Sean Price got put on a back burner. And, uh, you know, it's not the crap on anybody else. That's just the inner workings of how everything became. It went from the, the lyrics not mattering anymore to just the song having a catchy beat and just uh, a catchy chorus. 
you know, hence the days of Soldier Boy and all that stuff. So, so how did your collaboration with Sean Price happen? Um, what happened was, is I was a Jehovah Witness on the internet, just bugging this dude like a total fanboy. And some of them, I think it was timing because uh, timing is everything. Because like there were people that hit him up and said, "I'm the biggest fan of you," and he'd delete and block them. Like he just did not care. He was funny. Like he just he didn't care about the internet. He did not care at all. Like he didn't he didn't want to get to know you. He just did not care. And I think he changed up a little bit when he started going on tour to, like, Europe and Italy and came back. And I think he found a new appreciation for the people that loved his music. So when you when I reached out to him, I was fortunate enough to reach out to him. I had to collab with Rusty Jooks initially, and then Rusty's like, let me see if I can get Sean on the track. So I tried, I sent him a few beats, and he just didn't respond at all. And then finally I sent a beat, that uh, uh, the How Many Guns beat, and he loved it, and he said, "Yeah, I'll write you a 16." So I got a, I got him on a track, and uh, it was it was because of Rusty Jokes that that ha- happened. But um, so yeah, imagine being uh, like the, your favorite rapper, and he tells you he'd get on a track with you. I mean, it's surreal. You know what I mean? Well, so it's pretty pretty fortunate, but at the same time, I still brag about it to this day because it's like, hey, did I tell you about the time Sean T jumped on a track? It's like, yes, you told me. I heard it. it. <laughs> Nobody cares. And, and was this all done, like, where you guys sent <laughs> tracks back and forth through email, or did you guys actually meet somewhere? It was through Facebook, bro. A lot of oh, it was really? through Facebook. But if I had hit him up, like, in 2010 or something, he probably would have leaved and blocked, it, blocked me. You know what I mean? Like... Here comes another weirdo telling me how great I am. Great. Laters. And for those who don't know, Sean Price passed away just randomly, right? Well, um, yeah, it was 43, and he passed passed away in his sleep. I think it was heart failure, but I'm not sure. It's crazy young, too. And I just yeah, no, really. You're 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 paying homage to him to was it today? You're posting the. Sean Price uh, videos today? Was that today on Facebook? Yeah, no, I, it's his birthday today. And I still keep ah. in touch with Bernadette, and uh, Bernadette uh, is putting his album out this month. And I think one of the songs might be on his album, I I'm not sure, but she said she'd be she'd be willing to use it, so she's more than Wait, free who's, to do so. Who's Bernadette? Bernadette's his wife. Oh, really? So you keep in touch yeah, with her? Yeah, I still keep in touch with her. I, you know, oh, wow. Still want, still want to do a track with uh, Rock Ness. I'm a fan of Rock Ness as well, but um, but uh, you know, Bernadette carried on the tradition, and he had a lot of music that he left over after he passed away, and he has a whole album that he's putting yeah. out with like I think close to 25 songs or something like that. I don't know, but uh, there's hey, more music after that, and there's a lot of tracks that haven't been put out with uh, with. Uh, with him on it because his work ethic was insane. He'd literally finish a verse every day with a different artist all over the country. So Tom Price had a group, right? Was yeah, uh, Boot Camp Click. They were in uh, they were in comp to uh, uh, Wu Tang Clan, and Wu Tang Clan got the you know he got the more popularity, obviously. But um, in uh, they, they ninety four to ninety six, there was this whole rivalry thing about who's the best day, right? uh, best best clicks, and it was it was. Wu Tang versus Boot Camp and stuff. And uh What was the big surprisingly big before Pox passed, he was trying to go ahead, I'm sorry. What was the big song that Sean Price was on that was a radio? Oh, he had a bunch, man. He just um he had I a shitload. Like there was a Nocturnal album, 
there's one that's uh, Sean's price. There's a uh, um, there's just a lot of stuff that he did with Boot Camp Click, uh, Operation Lockdown. I mean, they had an album with Helter right? Skelter. Like radio friendly. Yeah, there was the well. He did a lot of stuff with. Uh, um, he he did a lot of stuff with uh, just uh, um, you know the the Boot Camp Click collaborations and stuff like that, and the the Shining and and. Uh, he would jump on collabs and stuff like that. That's how I came to know him. Like I'd be driving around listening to uh, um, Black Moon, and he'd be on a compilation, and then a lot of that stuff. Um, but the one that got a uh, um, the one that got the most radio recognition wasn't even Sean Price. It was uh, it was a uh, you know the Bootcamp Click, and it was the the Black Moon, which is I Got You Open, and uh, you know they didn't really start to get. Um, Helter Skelter didn't get a, get a bunch of shine till about uh, 96 to 98 and they, you know they started getting on but they never really had the radio stuff so they were more prevalent in Yom TV raps and uh, you know more of that like they had a they had a bunch of you know bunch of bunch of tracks out the Nocturnal was out and then um, but uh, it was more of the airwaves of MTV and stuff like that but they did fine it yeah. just wasn't to the mainstream. Like, it, like if you remember Smith and Wesson, that yeah. was the 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 hits that put that whole crew on was uh, "Let's Get It On." And "Let's right. Get It On" was uh was was the one past uh, "I Got You Open" with uh you know. Hey, Sean, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, so, how do you how do you feel about the how's the music and the Las Cruces, what's the, what's the, is there still rap? No, no, there's, there? I think there's some good MCs, but it's just a different era, bro. Like, I mean, me and you grew up to this different era where lyrics and substance and beats matter. And, uh, yeah. there's a few MCs that are great. I mean, Marcus is still rapping. He sounds great. Yeah. Buddy is good. Contube's good. Uh, Chaz is good. He's in, he's in Phoenix, but he's still dope. You know what I mean? He, he was, you could say he's from here because he's been here forever. Right. There was Dewey, Benz, you did a good job. I mean, there was people that could rap, but, uh, you know, as far as the new school stuff, there's, you got some cats that just want attention. And then you have other cats that, that are actually doing this for real, but they don't have people around them to help them. They don't have people around to, uh, to tell them the stuff that I have with, with Joe and Jesus and, and having friends around to tell you when your shit's whack or when your shit needs development, they don't really have that. So it's like when they hear it, it just causes they want to fist fight, they want to get angry, they want to fight each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's it's uh, yeah. it's, it's silly I, shit, and it's 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 stuff that 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 can be easily avoided. And uh, you know what I mean? And it's real clickish. It's very very extended version of high school. But then again, so is music itself, because you're you're basically fighting for popularity with people. I and, guess, uh, yeah, yeah. That's one thing I never really, uh, I was never a fan of like what you would call Chicano rap. Right. I hated it. And that, Same and with Jesus. He couldn't stand it. He didn't like South Park Mexicans and all that other shit. Like he just thought it was just a, a gross, Rider, uh, dis- well, a, gro- a gross display of, of a generalization of every, cause he's Hispanic. So when he says that doesn't represent me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a mainstream thing. So when people generalize, which most people do that aren't from here, they're going to say, oh, well, I like Mexican rap, too. I like South Park Mexicans. I like La Raza. <laughs> I like Kid Frost or what, Frost now or whatever. 
So they just affiliate that with that, and that's the only genre they'll hear, and they don't, uh, they don't, um, you know, that's they don't know anything else. So it's. Yeah, it's, uh, I once it's, told the the person that put out MB Writers, I was like, you kind of ruined Mexican rap. Because <laughs> I used to work for the record label there, and you know I got comfortable and I took a took a right. Shot, no, you could you like, could you could tell them the truth and it'd be okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. But you know what? At the same time, there's a there's a bit of respect because I I still like Google these guys and man, like MC M, uh what the fuck's his name? MC Magic. Uh-huh. Oh, but he's still fucking out there. Right. Putting on shows, videos, and that's the part that I do respect because that's the part that a lot of rappers lack, local rappers. Or yeah, you know, man, the grind, the hustle, the grind, yeah. the hustle, and the person that puts in the work ethic. I and this yeah. is true for everything. This is a life lesson. Is the you know the guy that that uh will be in uh, on the corner selling his shit, gonna make some money and do go further with it than the guy that's talented and gifted. And just felt, feels like everybody should just kiss his ass because he's gifted. You know what I mean? Like, if you're That's gifted so and you have good work ethic, you'll get everything. You That's know? so true. So I do tip my hat off for those guys for grinding, but, oh, man, I hate you, Connor Rap. Now, <laughs> I am a I am a fan of your music, I, your style. Thank uh, you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I don't know if this is how you would take this, but you remind me of a lot of, like, uh, Eminem Infinite album. Mm-hmm. That's the well, I've, I've heard that before, and uh, you know, it's it's just the tonality and the and and a lot of the cadence. There's a lot of my stuff that I love, you know, even even before started rhyming was Nas and Biggie. Like Biggie was my favorite, and uh, you know, if you remember Biggie, he'd have the multis too, and he'd do the Rolex watches, colorful swatches, I'm digging in pockets, motherfuckers can't stop this, and that's <laughs> the shit I loved is how it would land, and he was yeah. he was perfect at it. He had the voice, he had the aura, he had the soul of it, and uh, that you'd feel it every time, and that that was something. So I'd be influenced by mostly Biggie, but you know when the tonality and inflection comes through, it comes through as Eminem-ish. And I don't even take it as an insult. I don't care. I appreciate it because the dude's considered one of the greatest. But I think I think Eminem shined the most when about uh, the, the second album the second al- and I know this is a generalization and everybody says it M has this one rare skill that he has which is basically he could drop a song at any time and he'll clear if you're playing a game of pool he'll clear every every ball off of the table when he drops one song and it's just it's one of those guys that infected the game he infected uh, battle rap he infected uh he infected the way people wrote their rhymes and it just it took a that dude, that dude is is such a reflection of so many rappers out there, and it's it's crazy how much Eminem. influence he has on 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 I everyone. I love that guy. So. I think he's awesome. I've I've always that's one thing I always used to been jealous of that there's never been a representation of my people. Is that always right. representation matters? Yeah, and and the, the the he has the capability of making the distinction of something that's dope and not dope, and still be able to do that at age forty five. Like, it's unheard of. Everybody else, that like, if they start to get into a certain age, it starts to look corny. It doesn't yeah. look corny to him. It's the same with Tech 9 Tech 9 is like, what is he, 49? This dude's been doing it for 20 years, and he grinded himself out, and his work ethic was insane. And, you know, after about the last 10 years, he finally started making the money he deserved. But that dude worked his ass off to get there. 
You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. If you look yeah. at the track record of all the discography, dude, I have, I've probably made about 70 songs. That dude's made over like 400 songs. Like, I ain't shit compared to Eminem. Seriously. Like, that dude's yeah. amazing. So, it, it, the, the work ethic is all there. And, uh, that's really what you have to do. That dude put in work ethic. He, he, he worked with a bunch of artists. He, he Dr. Dre put him on. You know, not everybody has that, that lottery ticket, but he definitely well, fulfilled his part. You know, who are, who so, are your influences growing in music? All of them. I, I'd say um, the stuff that started making me want to listen all the time was uh, Ice Cube, Scarface, Nas, Biggie. I I listen to Redman all the time. Like as a freshman in high school, I had What the Album. I listened to that front to back all the time. And I would play Earthworm Jim on my N64. Just waste time after homework and just do that. And then I listen to that. Now? Uh, now? The stuff that I listen to now, I would say, if you went in my car, I'd have uh, Royce the Five Nine, I'd have uh, Afu Ra just for just to switch it up, and then uh, um, just sometimes you just uh, bring the ruckus. I love the Wu Tang, just that's one of my favorite songs from them. And then uh, um, let's see, there's uh, I would listen to Rage Against the Machine now. I listen to Beck. I listen to every, you know, it's not just hip hop. I listen to other shit too, but these are the stuff that like. In rhyme mode, I'll, 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 you know, I'll listen to guys that I feel like can master the art form, and it, and I always felt like Sean P is the greatest. And then Biggie, Biggie gets you up, but I've heard Biggie so much, I just got sick of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not sick of Biggie, but the the one I still listen to that's like my Rocky album is like the um, the Victory. Remember that shit? Yeah. yeah. No, that's the thing about Biggie, like, his catalog was small, so, like, you heard all the songs, you're just like, all right, I need more. Well, I, I you know, saying I'm sick of them is not cool, but at the same time, for me, like, I, I'll listen to them so much, it's just, you got to listen yeah. to something else to switch Bring it up and then out. come back to it. Right. So that's what I would do. So how do you, how do you feel about these new, new cats that are getting attention? No, that's what the Animal Cracker's about. That's just the mumble shit. I mean, look at it this way. I mean, you've been in a part of that stuff. You know, you see how it works out there. It's mm-hmm. not all like that, but there's a generalization of, of uh, how it works. So my idea is just some bald dude that's writing Britney Spears lyrics for some chick. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And then uh, they, it's almost like Neo Soul. They kind of want it to fade out because they'll just pick the most retarded rappers, period, and then push that as a mainstream thing. And that sounds awful because I know that in some instances there's some people that can develop and get some talent, but... If you saw the double XL uh, freshman last year, it was uh, it was annoying. Like, and this is no new news. It's just the one that spit fine was Little Dicky. Spit average. Like he spit okay, but to them he looked like a god because he put words together, and those guys were mumbling. Are you, you know what I mean? Feeling, are you feeling Little Dicky or not really? Little Dicky's good. I like Lil Dicky. He's funny. He's- I, I like I like a rapper that has a sense of humor like that. I like your music. I like the music you put out. When you, when if you can be funny and sarcastic and land it and sound good, that's what you got to do. You know what I mean? I, you know, I try to do serious songs, and uh, people love me more for my funny shit, my sarcastic mean shit, versus right. the the the. When I get serious, they're like, "That's great," but where's your funny song coming? I always like Mighty White. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like. Well, fuck, man, I'm trying to do a serious song here and show you I'm multidimensional, but you want a funny, sarcastic, asshole song. So the only time that people like to hear the shit that I do 
is when it's like me being an asshole. You know what I mean? And I can I'm more than just being an asshole. But to me, like I, that was more of a just a kind of a just show you the wordplay, but at the same time say some funny, cool, witty shit that people like to hear. But with the with serious ones, I try to I try to put a message in there or some shit, and people are like, yeah, that's great. Let me hear Mighty White again. No, that is pretty interesting, and I did use a lot of humor, kind of for those reasons, because people were more attracted to that than. Yeah, I mean, and once they know that that's who you are, that's what they identify you with. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so and so. He's funny, or that's yeah. that's that's uh like for Ed. Ed's got that dope voice. He's got that dope deep voice. Or uh, or Marcus. Marcus is like Marcus is dope as fuck. He's got the wordplay. Kind of sounds like G's. You know, the people say he sound like Jay Z. He hated yeah. that, but I get the same thing with Eminem. And at some point, you just gotta not give a fuck. You know they're what I mean? Like, white, but there's some for some reason. No, they do that too. Like it'll be a guy that doesn't even sound like him. You're like, you got that kind of Eminem flow, dog. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no, no, he doesn't. Because if he did, he'd have fucking millions of dollars. <laughs> hey, so I, the one one advantage that I do enjoy about you is that you put out production videos. So tell tell me about that when you first put out your video. Which one was your first video? You oh, the Mighty five? White one. Yeah, the Mighty White. Yeah, five videos out, right? Yeah, it's uh, I, I, we're getting to eight, but uh, two of them haven't been out yet or not put out because there's still like some sort of uh, there's a more of uh, just uh, getting every, the alignment to make sure that the lips are on point and stuff, so they don't fuck up on the editing. I just I'm very a stickler for that much that stuff. It bothers me. So, so tell me about you know, that. Like, you're like, all right, I need to put a visual to this. Is that how does well? That and uh, like, I'll have a mental uh. I'll have a mental thing of what I want to play out and then I'll just draw it out for the, for the, um, for the director. So I'll just give him a kind of a, you know, the production and the environment and so forth. So with Mighty White, I had a idea of, uh, they're going to throw me out of this scene and they're going to throw me into the, the other scene and it's going to go here and I'm going to have a low rider and I'm going to have these cops pull me over just to try to, and a lot of this stuff was just, it's weird, bro. Like if you push, if you put a lot of energy into something or if you put a lot of focus onto something that you want, it, it finds its way of working out when you put your, your, your mental energy into it. So a lot of the, the stuff I would do, I would, I, I rented a police car for 70 bucks and got the police car for 70 bucks from really? the dude Shelby. Yeah. And I got DJ black to play the cop. And then, uh, and then with, with, uh, I had hit up word one and I had hit up, uh, um, you know the this barber shop, and I ended up saying I need some black folks in this right there, so you guys can throw me out. I said, but got some black friends, but they look so cool next to you, so they're throwing me out of that one. And that's <laughs> so true. Yes, but what's more amazing than that is my Latin friends constantly calling me names in Spanish. And then I got my friends that I worked with at this bar, and Luis is like he's got a tattoo on his head. He wears the lokes, and he's got the goatee, and it's, he's tatted up, and it just he looks like a he looks like a cat you see on training day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I just thought yeah. of it, and I'm like, right away, I'm like, this is gonna be hysterical. So, you know, to you, like, when you see when you see it in your mind, it's so funny. But to everyone right. else, they didn't see what I saw. So I'm like, I had to draw out the sketch of what I wanted, drew a picture of it, and then started. Uh, as the weeks would go by, I try to get each scene and say, okay, I need you to do this scene right here, and here's a six pack of Corona for showing up, and if you could bring your cousin with the lowrider, that'd be fucking swell. And uh, 
I would luck out on some circumstances because of, you know, just if I put my mental energy into it, it ended up being okay. But um, I saw the scene with uh, the Elvis and the Jimi Hendrix lyric stuff, and uh, I saw Austin post up a thing where, and it was like the timing was impeccable. He had posted up a Halloween picture of him dressed as Jimi Hendrix. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. now all I need to do is get an Elvis. <laughs> And I had a friend that was Italian, so he looks kind of like Elvis a little bit if you put some glasses on him. So he's short, you know, so he doesn't look like Elvis. He's not too hairy like Elvis was. So then I I went to the gym and I got a the the costume for that was twenty five bucks. And uh, now I have something. I looked at the neighborhood and the neighborhood looked like something out of Beaver Cleaver, like the Leave It to Beaver shit. And and essentially for that song, you know, since I'm making fun of white folks like myself. It it fit perfectly. It just reminded me of the Munsters or some shit. Like it looked like a perfect suburban, emotionally healthy neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> so it, it just played out in my mind, hilarious. And then that these guys, uh, Troy Scouting and Johnny Tabor, I mean, put it helped me put it together. So I literally drew this stuff out, and each each uh, scene was a mission. You know what I mean? And it got to the point where they're like, okay, dude, enough with the scenes. We're just gonna, we're gonna finish this. We literally took that video took about six months, and I and I paid him a grand for it for TIC to do it. But for, um, the, for the production, for the editing yeah. and shooting, and then Johnny Tabor, he makes like uh, he makes movies, bro. He's made movies for uh, Miramax and 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 uh, Lionsgate. So he did the editing for it. So I literally had a guy working on movies that was doing the editing. He got it all done within two hours. I literally had. Uh, a beginning and end because of this guy. This guy's just phenomenal. The, the video is all in the editing. So if the editing isn't good, you're not going to have a video worthy of watching. And my whole thing is, is if you have ADHD like I do, I have a hard time paying attention unless it's interesting. So if I can pay attention to it the whole way, that means I'm doing something right because so I can't pay attention video, for shit. All these people in the video you knew? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even uh, the only Blanca one girl I didn't know was at the beginning. Her name was Blanca, and she was she's a Hispanic chick, but her you know she looked like a redheaded white chick, and her name was Blanca for Mighty White. So I just that was an inside joke that was just really funny. So I bought Even her a cholo? white dress for that day. What's that? Even the cholo? Even the cholo in the video? Well, the 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 cholo um cholo was Luis. Luis is a good dude. Like that guy. Uh, I worked with him at Cisparo. So. Ah, okay. So at this point, you were like, I need to make a music video. How the fuck did I make this happen? Right, and so I, I just overdid it. You know, like, when you make your first song, it's, like, it's ridiculous. Like, this, the wor- amount of work you put into it, because you just want it to be right. It's the yeah. same with the video, man. You literally got to go draw out each scene. And there are certain scenes that didn't make it. I had one where I was going to dress up like Napoleon Dynamite and have a cholo drive me around <laughs> in a, a lowrider. And that I even had the outfit. I had the lowrider ready. And just because of the timing, we couldn't get the scene in. But I would have looked like a fat Napoleon Dynamite, and it would have been the funniest shit ever. And I just we just <laughs> didn't get it, dog. But, and you know, you just... And, and then your and, uh, second video of Let Loose? Yeah, Let Loose was... Uh, Dude, I just got stoned, and I and I, uh, it sounded like a Biggie beat, so I pictured Biggie rapping, and uh, I tried to carry the cadence of Biggie. No bullshit, that's literally what happened. I sound nothing like Biggie, and that's why it sounded so different and weird and cool. <laughs> Is it the same same director or same producer? Same. Yeah, it was Troy, but I, you know, I let that play out, you know. 
I think the video makes a big difference, and I think that's a good look that you did. And you got a lot of views on the first one. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I um, I, I did really well with that one. It's um, the let loose did good. It just wasn't as much, but it was, it was still all the same. Then it just gets to the point after the third or fourth video, they're just like another one. All right, man. <laughs> I really enjoy your last video, Animal Cracker. Oh yeah, and I got lucky with that one too, man. It started playing out exactly the way um, uh, Mighty White did. You know how like you're trying to make a scene work, yeah. and uh, the the it's like it's like destiny falls in your hand, like some circumstance you're looking for something, and it just when you stop looking, it's right in front of you, and you're like, oh well, I remember I need this, so here we'll we'll, we'll try to capitalize on this. You know what I mean? All right. Certain instances like that kind of fall into your hands, and you just make the best of what you have, you know? So for those listening, uh, you're at a circus. Yeah, we got coupons in the mail saying, saying the circus comes down, here's some free tickets. And uh, I looked at this, and I thought, man, this is perfect for animal crackers. What if I can get a, what if I can get an elephant in the, in the, in the video? That's mm. the first thing that came to mind. And I'm like, yeah, you know yeah. what? If I can, I'm gonna do this. And as soon as I got those tickets, I ordered a ring ringleader outfit online. Same day, no bullshit. Oh, so you, you ordered? Yeah. So I just, <laughs> I, I I bought the the HalloweenCostume.com. Went to there, bought a ringleader outfit, and then they were coming in two weeks. So I I it had a number on the back, and I kept calling like every day. You know, like those people that want to get their song heard on, on 103. So just calling all the damn time. I was calling yeah. the, the circus, and I finally got a hold of them. And I said, "Well, we're a Christian, and uh, we're Christian, and we don't uh, we don't want bad language or anything like that." So I gave them the lyrics to Mighty White. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I gave them the lyrics to Mighty White, Doc, and uh, um, uh, you know, because Mighty White was your radio, you know, your your radio friendly unit shifter versus a song that's like vulgar as fuck. You know what I mean? Just crude. How I feel, if it offends you, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And and um, so I I gave him the lyrics to that and said, you know, we're not going to mention your circus name in any of this. You don't got to worry any about any of that. And they let their guard down after that. So they were cool about everything. They literally let me have the circus before they started at five. And the funny part is is, is uh, a dude came up protesting, you know, because the treatment of animals. And so it's bullshit. What you do? It's bullshit. And uh, I was like, dude, I don't even work here. I'm, I'm just uh, doing a music video, and he just like kind of, kind of walked off. All, oh, and just walked off. <laughs> Started laughing at. It. But um, but it was funny because I got like the whole circus thing for about close to an hour, and I had they were they even gave me the spotlight, and they asked if I wanted to use the mic for the thing, and it was like, since you know, since I have the overdubs, there's no point for a mic. So I just was like, let me just get this footage real quick. So it literally took me about 30, 40 minutes. I was done and uh, in and out. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get the, I'm going to get some shots of these animals and I'm going to ride an elephant. And so I got the, <laughs> I got the shot of the elephant and I was like, this is going to be fucking funny. What rapper ra- wrote an elephant for their rap video? And there no, probably is that. somebody out there, but I just didn't know uh, of it. So that's one thing that I wish I would have done with my music is done videos, but I was too much of a pussy to do it. I don't know why, like, I, it's, uh, me being in front of the camera just makes me feel so uncomfortable. Right, the self-consciousness, you just, like, uh, there's a lot of them where I'm like that, so we have to, it has to get to a point where you just gotta take a shot or, 
you gotta you gotta take a shot of something and just get past yourself because it's it's you know it's bigger than you. So you just gotta once you do that, then you're good. Who are these people? Who are the people that are playing the the trumpet and? Uh... Oh, uh, they they weren't even playing. It was uh, um, my friend Mike Legaretta and these two random people that I, I met. The guy Fat Glass. I was like, I need a person to play this this instrument for me on this video. And he's like, I got my friend, and we play trombone. I was like, get your ass down here. So we'll be there at the music hall in 30 minutes. It literally played out like that, dude. And I was supposed to get Brandon Hendricks to play the saxophone, and it was just going to be like some Bruce Springsteen comedy. You know what I mean? Like, you know how Bruce Springsteen had the guy with the, the, the glasses with the sax? Yeah. And uh, um, so I, I uh, initially was going to use Brandon, but I, I for some reason Brandon got held up. So we ended up using this girl for the that uh, that operated all the the lighting and everything else, and she wouldn't put the sacks to her mouth and stuff. And at first I hated it, and then now I just laugh at it like it's like my favorite part of the video because she won't put them the sacks to her face. She thinks there's like AIDS on the saxophone, so it's like <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know why she wouldn't do it, but she wouldn't do it. And now I like I hated it at first, but now I love it because it makes it it just makes it more funnier. It may, it adds to the element of it's clear. It's clear we're not playing those instruments. It's clear I'm not playing the piano. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, so at this point, you got. I mean, I know like as as a artist, music artist, one thing is about oh, music quality. Where do I record? Do I record at home. I mean, do, where do you do your recording actually? Um, the stuff I did, I've I've recorded with the Joker. I've recorded with uh, Mystery and. Um, Mystery and uh, Phoenix, and I've recorded at Jesus. This last album was at Jesus, so I oh, okay. I would uh, literally you, you take I would record. I would well, no, I have a studio at my house, but bro, I'm not as good as he is. I'm not yeah. at all. Yeah. He's just he's masterful, dude. He'll spend six, twelve to sixteen hours on it, uh, and so he'll beautiful, and someone else does the work. Right? No, no, and and uh, he'll literally. He'll work with me like so. What he'll do is he'll get me the 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 the, in, the main ingredient of the the beat itself, and I will literally record over that stuff. And then he'll work around the verses itself. So he'll start adding hi hats and drums and bass lines and start making the shit come alive. Like he's just good. He's now good at everything. He's thorough, and he's a uh, he's a uh, solid a solid producer. Period. How is it price? How is that? How do you handle? Because art can be expensive. You put so much input for little return. How do, is that a problem for you? Is that something that slows down your creativity or? No. What I'll do, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I'll have the same beats per minute on something, and uh -huh. uh, allow it to to. Uh, I'll write to that first, and I'll and I'll give. Dutch saying like, okay, this is something that I, I would take a beat that I got from either Team Backpack or online, and just write to it and have a whole song ready, like same mm -hmm. I did with Animal Cracker, and then he worked around it. He basically, like he worked around it and made made something around what I created. So I'd show him the lyrics, the outline, how it landed, and the and the chorus and stuff, and how I lined it up, and he tried to make it work. Sometimes it wouldn't work, and I have to cut the the chorus itself. But for the most part, he just knew how to structure everything, and the structuring's the most the most difficult part because you, if it's boring and it like loses your interest, you no longer 
you no longer want to listen to it. So I would I would cut some certain choruses to like four bars instead of eight. You know what I mean? My the outline would be sixteen eight, sixteen eight, sixteen, and uh, um, and then an outro or whatever, or you know something of the or the chorus first. You know the eight, sixteen, eight, sixteen, eight. 16. But um, you know it doesn't always necessarily have to be like that, especially for story story songs and formats and stuff like that. But it depends on how the beat beat not, beat goes. You know what I mean? And I like story tracks, but I don't want to bore my listeners, so I won't do longer than two minutes. You know what I mean? I'm not Jay Z. I'm not Biggie. So I'm just trying to keep your interest. So at this, you know. So now you have music down. You have the producer. You know how to record, which is I feel like it's a problem for a lot of people that don't know how to make it, their quality sound better. But uh, I think uh, one thing that you are hitting correctly. I mean, this is a Lost Christmas podcast, so I don't mean to put you in the category of the local rappers, but. That's okay. You can do that. I mean, if if you, I look, I consider myself regional because I've done five different states. But you can call me local. It's all good. I don't even mind. It doesn't offend me. You are putting uh, videos out, and I feel like that's really important to put visuals. Everybody's visual, man. If you can't see, if you can't put a face to what you're seeing, you lose less interest. You know what I mean? But is that something that you're focusing on now and, and, and you're going to put out more? Well, videos? and I, if I could do 12 videos for 12 songs, I'd love to. But this shit's expensive. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to bullshit you, man. I'd rather I'd rather just pay some bills and uh, get the get the fucking uh, get the get the quality studio and make sure the light's on. Oh, uh, you know? it's so expensive. You know, stuff like that. It's just it's 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 cool and all, but uh, realistically, you know, maybe even five or six. It'd be okay. This uh, this last song that I put out, there was a lot of like trial and error because I, I usually do everything myself because I'm cheap. Like right, I, I, all my albums I mixed it myself. If if you hear back, like definitely the quality is terrible. But at the time I'm like, yeah, this is cool. So this time around, I I like paid someone else to do everything, and I spent I spent like five hundred bucks on one song. And I was like, holy shit. So, yeah. It's if it gets to the quality you want, it's good. Well, I will refer the Joker. The Joker, I met him in 2007, and I met him through uh, Internet. He listened to I'm Leaving with me and Joe. And he wanted to do a track with me and, and Joe. And Joker is very he's, – he's, he's an orthodox guy, man. He's very, um, very passionate about what he does. And if you don't know him, he'll – He'll start telling you what you should or shouldn't do, and if you don't know him, you're like, well, "What the fuck, man? Don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing." <laughs> but um, but he's really good at what he does, and once you listen to that that the aftermath of his his uh, his uh, mix and mastering, it's there, you can't go wrong. It's like going from Blu-ray, and um, <laughs> so you, you know what I mean. It's like you have a VHS version of what you had, and then once you have him do a mix and mastering it's two hundred dollars by the way so if you ever want to do it please go through him tell him i sent you he's good he's good and, and you can't go wrong what's his email tell everybody dude that guy's fucking amazing let's have better music out everywhere i didn't get a hold of him you got a website or something? it's a joker.com and just inbox a guy adam and just say hey i'd want to mix and mastering and i'm willing to pay you 200 bucks that's what hey, he charges uh, that's what it is per song but it's worth it i'm assuming worth- he's mexican He's uh he's half black, half white. 
Um, I'm oh. assuming he's German because I think his last name's like Cuntless or something like that. He that threw me off. German to me. But the Joker, I was thinking Mexican. Yeah, no, I hear you. Like the Joker, <laughs> the Smiley and shit. Dude, if you've ever heard this guy, oh my God, his triple time is insane. Like he's good. He's to the caliber of uh, Tech Nine. He even had the audacity to diss Tech Nine on a track, and it's funny as fuck. And Tech Nine heard it and laughed his fucking face off. He would think, oh, don't diss Tech Nine. Tech Nine loved it. And they even had an interview oh, about it. Oh, heard it? Really? Yeah, Tech Nine even had an interview talking about the Joker and saying, like, this dude, we called him out there to work, and uh, just I was busy at the time, and I couldn't listen to him, and they told us to kick rocks. And Joker took his last penny to go show him. You know, when you're an artist, you're trying to come up, so if you know somebody that's in the upper echelon, it, it kind of takes that role of the hustle and flow. You know, you're trying to meet the guy that's bigger than you so you can put yeah. you on. And, and uh, goes, you know, it doesn't always Joker? play out like you want. You know what I mean? Especially if the guy's busy and he doesn't have time to listen to you. So he what happened Joker? was his Joker, Joker spent his last dime to get out there. And the dude told him to get off the bus after like about five minutes. And it just it broke his heart. Really? So he broke, so he wrote a, he wrote a diss song about him, dissed the fuck out of him and, and did his own cadence on the song. And uh, um, Tech Nine heard it and they interviewed about him. And, and Tech Nine was laughing about it. He thought he, he's like, I like that dude. He's talking shit. That's not gonna get you anywhere. But I like the song. And uh, but anyways, the whole thing about it, I met him in 2007, and the dude's the dude's insanely skillful. Thing is, and is that there? like he's multidimensional. So he'll sing R&B songs and shit and shit that I would never do. And uh, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. So that's the only difference in terms of. So he's Stuff there in that Las I wouldn't Cruces? Do. What's that? He's in Las Cruces? No, Joker is actually out in, um, he moved from Phoenix and he moved to Los Angeles to make it big. So hopefully he's doing it. But he's filmed videos for B.O.B. and worked with, uh, worked with a whole shitload of people from, uh, you know, just a, a big namers and shit like that. He's, he's worked with, uh, the fuck is his name? Can't think of it right now. But it's another guy affiliated with Tech Nine. And um, and the, so, he just. But he was out of Las Cruces. No, no, Joker was never out of Las Cruces. I literally drove to Phoenix to go record. Probably. Like I would drive to Phoenix in in 2006, 2007. I would drive. I would go to uh, catch a Chaz show. Chaz would oh. have this. Uh, uh, he would he would spit at a bar that was his usual bar, like Norm from Cheers. I don't remember the name of the bar, <laughs> but he was there. He would spit like every week. And uh, I would record with Mystery out in Phoenix, and then I would record with the Joker out in Phoenix, and I got to I got to work with him. So I would record songs out there, a couple songs with him, and that's how I got to know him. But um, but uh, I I listened to the hundred bars that he had on YouTube, and I became his friend through that. And he listened to I'm Leaving, so he was like he loved the shit that I did, and I, I he was way beyond anything I've ever done. He had the he had the EQing, he had the dynamics, he had the ad-libs, he had the fucking different sound effects that, that nobody I knew could do. It just sounded, it was professional from a person that's kind of trying to get to that professional level. You know what I mean? So, so the whole last album was recorded with him? The whole last album was recorded with Dutch. Dutch did the whole thing. But uh, uh, Joker now, right? Joker actually mixed and mastered uh, um, the, the second album, Incorrigible. 
and uh, well, actually, Dutch would mix and mix, mix down, and and uh, Joker did the mastering. So what you'd do is you'd have the 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 references reference track, and then you'd send him the vocal stems, and he would mix and master with the reference track that you had. So if remember, like that song that you recorded, that one, uh, that that last song you did with Marcus. Yeah. What you would do is you'd have a reference track of that. You'd send it to him. You'd send it along with the instrumentals, the instrumental itself, along with the vocal stems, the, 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 you know, the main, the main, uh, the main vocals, the dubs, the ad libs, and so forth. And he'd just do the placement for you. And uh, he charged him. He charged two hundred bucks, and it came out fucking masterfully. If anything wait, wait. that you wanted added, he'd add to it. And he'd. Be but good that's with it. in a Chris's, right? Dutch is in Albuquerque, so for this last song, I literally would drive out every month to finish a song to two songs and drive out to... He's actually in Rio Rancho, but he's yeah, got his man. own... He's, he he, he is, right? Yeah, he, he, he sent me a... No, but it's worth it, Mac, to me. Like, I, I it, you got to understand, like, it's a different thing when when a producer is like family. It's it's a, It's a brotherhood. You know what I mean? That dude's a brother. Like he wants, he wants it to be the best thing because it makes him look good. And I'm yeah, trying to yeah. do my best to make him look good. You know what I mean? Right, I'm right. trying to give him the best lyrics, and he's giving me the best beats. It's the combination of best beats and best lyrics because I'm trying to live up to his his uh, his expertise and his his level of perfectionism. Because if something doesn't like sound that. right, best believe he will tell me. You tell me yeah. it's off and your cadence is off. It didn't. You're low energy. You need to bring your energy out into this one. You need to come alive. So in some instances, I lose myself and lose my. I I I. First off, the first thing I should say to any artist if they ever listen to it is they should um, they should rehearse it about a thousand times to where it's second nature. Like it's something that you would say conversationally. And before then going the, to the studio. Yeah, when you before I go in the studio, you spit it a thousand times like it's second nature, to where you can do try different elements of your emotion, and then bring that out into the song. So you're trying to yeah. stay inside the beat, carry that emotion, and then uh, give it the best intent when you're recording. And that's what. And and if it doesn't sound to that caliber, you're not going to get what you want. It's not going to sound good, and people are not going to pay attention. They're going to think it's boring. And it's nothing's worse than being boring, you know what I mean? That's true. So, so what? What's your next goal here? You got a, you got three videos coming out soon? I uh, just try to, yeah, just get those videos out and just, uh, you know, put them on forums. The next one I got coming with Rusty Jokes. There's another one um, called Refunds. It's about this rapper that sells shitty, ra- shitty CDs throughout the city, and then uh, um, <laughs> that people want their money back. So it just becomes this own comedic thing. Where people are ready to beat his ass, and <laughs> it, it's gonna be a great. It's gonna be a great. I, I, you probably heard it already, but it's on the album. Who is this the guy? Who is he? The um the guy I got doing for it is Mike Legareta. So I dressed him up like your stereotypical douchebag rapper. I gave him the camouflage. I get the I got the Grover the T-shirt. You know the the Oscar the Grouch. And he's got his uh, hat tilted sideways like a total douche. He's got the yellow oh, yeah. do rag, the biker biker glasses like the Noid from you know Pizza Hut, and then uh, you know he just looks like a dick. <laughs> and uh, you know people are buying CDs from him thinking he's king shit of fuck mountain, and little do they know they get that it's a terrible CD. So people are getting really mad about it and wanting their money back and. 
This, this I just mapped this whole thing out fucking great, dude. I I know you'll laugh, dude. You have the this you is, have the same type of sense of humor I do, so I know you'll laugh. This is the next video. The next one's with Rusty. This is more of a serious one. That's it's called Hell's Kitchen, and it's it's okay. cool. It's just some outlandish, uh, outlandish uh, bar 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 raps. Like I said, people prefer the 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 sarcastic asshole me. So mm-hmm. uh, the sarc the the more serious kind. They'll like it, but they won't like it as much as uh, Mighty White or Animal Crackers or Refunds. Refunds is to the same caliber of Animal Crackers. There's nothing wrong with the track with me and me and Rusty. It's dope, but you know, I know what it is. You know what I mean? I know what people prefer versus what I personally prefer. I'm trying to show you I'm multidimensional and be all, yeah, that's great. When's your next sarcastic song coming out? So what? When's the? So, so right now you you just dropped a new. When did you drop your new album? Do you call it album? What do you call it? We're old yeah, this last one was an album. So, yeah. And you, what format did you put it out on? I, oh, I mean, I CD Baby. It. I did CD Baby, and I'm going to, you know, I, they're still working on the back cover. I want to use this different back cover because the quality of the picture just came out kind of subpar. The the original picture that I used on my uh, website you know, had high high uh, definition, high pixelation, very very professional looking. So I want to keep the same consistency with the back cover. And initially, the one that I had was just a picture of the crowd in El Paso with their hands up. And it's not cheesy or anything; it's a good moment, but the the pixelation of it just it looks blurry. So it doesn't look very uh, it doesn't look to the caliber of what I'm going for. So as far as the the back cover itself. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do a different back cover for it, and I might even try to put a cartoon on the inside just to make it like a booklet thing and so forth. So I figured the easiest way to physical. You're putting a physical out. Yeah, yeah, and to, to, to believe it or not, dude, in Crucis, like I I have cards that I that I have for CD Baby, and people bought them, dude. I've sold thirty so far, so I have literally literally made three hundred bucks off of this within since the fifth, and uh, um they want the that they want the physical copies so so they can look at it and they can hold it and put it in their car. And I thought yeah. that these were so outdated. Like, if it's in Dallas or in uh, Las Cruces, or not Las Cruces, Los Angeles or Phoenix or some shit, most people want to stream. They want to stream. You I know. know. I got on uh, the... the you, re- you, you recently asked on uh, Facebook, like, hey, what was your question? Something about putting... What's the best way to... Oh, no, my question was, what's the best thing that you prefer? And I'm trying to see what, what people prefer. And in Crucis, it's physical copies, but outside of this, there's That's a so lot of people still me. stream. Now, these yeah, I know. It's outdated. In, if, you, like, if you really think about it, Sergio, it's like 20 years in the past. Because people yeah, liked yeah. the physical copies back then. But people still like that here, bro. They still want to buy that here. I could probably sell about a couple thousand of them here just just off of the strength of the physical copy versus the, the streaming, which is... The streaming with CD Baby, I recommend it to anybody. There's places that'll listen to it, but I don't have the fucking money to get out there. Right. And they're listening in Switzerland. They're listening in Italy. They're listening in, believe it or not, fucking UK really likes my shit. They're fucking streaming it. They're buying it. People bought the fucking Sean Pye shit. So it's, it's, uh, they really like the collabs. People I take uh, resonance to the collabs on the streaming more so than they do the physical. The first one that that's closest to it right now is uh, um, Animal Cracker, and then Refunds, and then uh, 
the Hell's Kitchen is all the way down at the bottom, but the, the Animal Cracker refunds were the only solo type of joints that, you know what I mean, that people take in residence to. So what I'm noticing is is that the collaborations with with uh, Rusty Jokes and Sean Price and the one with Pace One, who was outsiders who used to work with Eminem, the, those ones oh, people yeah. want to listen to more. You know what I mean? And I have Flawless on both of those tracks, but I can't go wrong with Flawless. Flawless is a sure shot. He's like 100%. He's, he's bulletproof, he's, dude. He's, 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 a, he's a fucking amazing MC. He's a good dad, and he, and he makes a lot of good money from his family. Like, I literally... I would describe him as flawless. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he really is, no dude. And this right? is his side. It's like a hobby to him. It's a side project now. It used to be all and everything. But now that he, that now that it's nonchalant, and he still cares, don't get me wrong. But um, now that it's more of side project stuff, he doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be a be all end all. And he's at his best, even, even if he's half with, if he if he does half of what he's capable of, it'll still be incredibly dope. And if he he's decides no to go all the right? way the fuck in, it's like that dude's incredible. He's he really no is. Nah, he moved out when during my college years. This was during like 2003. He took off back to Florida. But I still, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm when I'm a good friend with somebody, I'll keep in touch with them. You know, I'll be their friend for life. You know, and mm-hmm. especially that dude. That dude's uh. Like, he always gave me advice on stuff, and if something didn't sound right, he'd be the first to tell me. And he'd be like, oh, it's not hitting. You don't uh, sound right. Like no, you need to you need to go rewrite this shit. That's a brotherhood, dude. That's a certain sort of bond. I had that with him, and I had that with uh, John, and I had that with uh, Jesus. And that, that's one of those things that it doesn't leave you. Like, you always remember those guys and be like, this guy told me I, I sucked, but he was right. And when you go right, back right, and right. listen to the shit that you had... They're like, I could have got better. He's right. I should have spit that shit better. It didn't sound right. And and me being stubborn and being kind of an asshole that I am, I'll put out a track even though they're right and then go back and be like, fuck, they were right. And then go re-record it. <laughs> you know, and just, it was it yeah. was one of those things where it, it's, it's a priceless thing to have somebody that tells you the truth. It really is. There's a few times you mentioned you're an asshole. No, and, and it's not like on a, uh, not like I, I trophy that or some shit or I fucking hold that deer. It's just, it's true. Like the stubbornness of, I'm a Leo, dude. So like, I, I think You're I'm stubborn. king. That's yeah, I think I'm king you. shit of fuck mountain. And sometimes I don't look in the mirror. You know what I mean? You got to have those man in the mirror moments and you got to be real with yourself. Otherwise it's not even, it's not even uh there's so many people that that'll that uh, that don't listen to other people and then put their shit out and when they're trying to help them and they got a lot of happens is, is they look like they look absolutely foolish and and they'll look back ten years later and be like God damn my friends are right I had a lot of those yeah. moments man yeah so what? so Sean we got this uh, new album Ascended mm-hmm. Bastard is that correct. Yeah, send it bastard. Yeah, it was a mixture because I did the the bastard, which is um, it's actually true to life. My um my real dad took off, took a took the back way. I'm sure like he's just kind of a sociopath. He just didn't really care. It's not his fault. He just mentally had problems and issues. But uh, my stepdad fulfilled his shoes when I was nine. So it's in, in in fucking by definition bastard. But 
Ascended Masters was Dutch, so it's a combination of dope beats with dope rhymes. So I put Ascended Bastards. So you got Ascended, Ascended Master with Dutch, and Ascended Bastard with me. So that's the it's the yin and the yang. You know what I mean? So um, it's, I mean, uh, it's a, a perfect good. combination of just trying to trying to put the multidimensional album out to where it's not just some sort of linear categorized, easily categorized thing. It's more of I got the funny stuff, I got the lyrical stuff, I got the story songs. I got the uh, collabs. I got the shit that I want to put out there, and I'm and I'm really proud of it, man. It's 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 a culmination of all the cool shit that developed, and I'm very very happy with it. To be honest you- with you, though, like um, this has a signature sound to it, so it might not take as much resonance as the as the second album does. But uh, to me personally, it's my personal favorite because I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I I love listening to you. Um, I'm not a fan of many local. Uh, I keep saying that, but I don't mean no offense. Yeah. But, uh, not I, mean, is, I hear you. I mean, there's good artists. There's Don Graham. There's there's uh, no, this guy Drew. I, Drew can spit his ass off. There's another kid named uh, Akeem. Dope. And this is the Lost Christmas podcast, and we are focusing on you. But man, you are definitely one of the best out there. So I do I like appreciate it, dog. your project. And no, you, sure. you make good songs too, dude. I'm not just saying that just to gas you. Like, it, you do make good songs, but you know how it goes, man. It took years of development to get there. So. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got this new project that's out. You could get it anywhere, iTunes, Google Play, where else? Just any, you, Spotify. Just Amazon, yeah. I'm trying to get yeah. on Pandora, but Pandora takes for fucking ever. If I get on Pandora, it's a wrap, dude. And then you got a few music videos coming out. Where can people yeah. find you? Um, just uh, do uh, YouTube.com and then uh, backslash Sean, S-E-A-N, Curtis. Curtis spelled as it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you'll find a bunch of videos on there. We got a bunch of tours and shit like that. But, yeah, yeah man, for, thanks for the call. and. Oh, as far as shows and stuff, um, with the the stuff that I'm gonna do, I'm gonna work with uh, um, Alan in El Paso. There's a guy that promotes shows out in El Paso, so there's he he kind of facilitates all the 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 cool shit that comes in, like with the Pharaoh Munch and Raekwon and all the people that come through and stuff. So when I when when that stuff comes through, we'll do uh, local shows, but then we'll also do stuff where we get to open for them, and and I love that more than anything. If you've ever done a show in El Paso, and this is no knock to El pa- it to Cruces, because Cruces is cool too, but uh, Cruces is more like a St. Patty's Day or uh, or uh, you know one of those main event episodes where you get like four times out of the year where you get a big event. Those are the cool times to to perform. But with El Paso, they have it like every two weeks. They got Just a Law coming out here. They got Mob Deep coming out there. They got Tech Nine coming out there. They got Bun B. They got uh, Raekwon. Oh, really? uh, yeah, it's just the shows there nonstop, and the, the the city has so much heart for hip hop. They just love it, and it's like it's only forty five minute drive, dude. To me, that's yeah, worth yeah. it. And to, it to, to spit it. my ass off in front of a bunch of people that show super love, dog. There's nothing greater than that feeling when you hear the crowd roar back, and then after the show they. They shake your hand. They buy your CD. They they buy your shirts. They're they're super. They show super love. I love El Paso, and I love Cruces too. But at the same time, I want I want to say like you know, don't just isolate to this just this town because 
They show it's super hard. love in El Paso. They show love in Al- Albuquerque. It's 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 good to get out there and just 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 put yourself to the test and and uh, and show them what Cruces, you got. You know, this is a weird town for rap, though. No, right? see, Cruces. The, the strength of Cruces is the reality base. It's yeah. one of those things where if if it, you have a commonality with everybody, so they keep you uh, humble. And that's a right. rare thing that that people don't understand is that cruises keeps you humble, because they that don't is, they don't gas you, they don't kiss your ass if you're doing too well, they're not gonna let you know, mm-hmm. and that's okay because it keeps you humble, and that's an important thing when you go when you go out when I went to Los Angeles, and all these people following themselves with cameras and thinking they're superstars and shit and being idealistic, I didn't care about none of that shit, and that keeps you real, because it's Have like you performed in Los Cruces. In in Las Cruces, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a El Patio show. There's stuff like that. But you know, I you know, I still I try to keep in touch with the the local artists. But the ones I did keep in touch with, are you know, they'll do a performance and ask me and stuff like uh, Grim or or uh, you know the dude from LOE. Um, he asked me to do a show, and it was cool. It's it's a good thing, man. Even the small crowds are have their own uh, element to to them because it's it, even if. People still show love. It's just it's a different thing that like uh, they, there's a commonality thing where if you start getting gassed, they don't want you to get gassed. They don't want you to feel yeah. like you're high and mighty because in in essence you're just yeah. one of them, and they're right. So that keeps you humble. So there's the value yeah. in, in in coming from Crucis because the value is is that uh, you are, you're not bigger than you are. You're still human. You know, you could do something great and be phenomenal at it, but it doesn't matter. Outside of that, you're still a human person. You're not better than anybody else. You still breathe the same air as them. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's the value of cruises. The the heart in El Paso is the fact that they they did they don't they had to fight to be here. To fight to be here, so they show super love because they know that you have skill level versus some of the shit that they've seen. You know what I mean? So they're they're, right. they're a perfect balance. When you don't don't see that super love that you want to get, you get it right there, forty five minutes away, and it's like it's it's exhilarating. It's a, it's it's like I can't even describe it other than like it's an adrenaline rush. It's a love. It's a it's a feeling of love, and it's a good it's a good uh, marriage and bond between you and the audience, and it's a, it's it's an energy. It's the vibrations that you put out there, and, and the and the crowd vibes with you, and they show love for you. That's a good feeling. You can't you can't replace that. Dude. That's irreplaceable. But El Paso has heart, super love for El Paso. But um, yeah. at the same time, I love Cruces too, and the fact that it doesn't gas you, doesn't tell you the king should have fucked Mountain. You know. Definitely. No, I uh, I definitely feel like people are sleeping on El Paso, even though it's like forty five minutes away. But it's the next biggest city. And they have a lot of rap shows. And yeah, dude, Tricky they Falls. They got Tricky Falls. They got Low Brow. They got uh, there's all kinds of shit going on. There's a Mason I mean, they have Music Hall. Yeah, no, and and uh, I know that there's a repetition of it, but the Crucis is one of those things where they have the, uh, they're they're uh, creatures of habit. So the stuff that uh, um, works for them consistently is what's going to work works for them. Anything different or change up. Is going to be bizarre until it gets dated and something else replaces another place. So what will happen is, is a club that was, you know, doing really well for almost close to four to five years, another club starts, starts, puts their, gets their footwork in and people start migrating there. And then that's the new place to go. So same thing that happened with 
grams to whiskey digs to boots and bourbon. I mean, it's just people just kind of go what, what resonates with them at the time frame. And then when it gets old, they move on to another area and that other area goes out of business. And that's just how it works. The small town stuff is just, that's what it is. Essentially, it's just, it's, it's, it's not small town, but it's, you know, you got 170 population and about close to maybe 70 to 80 are out in the city all the time and the rest of them are retirees and whatever yeah. else. You know what I mean? So you got 70 to 80 K that are out all the time and the rest of them are just kind of, it's a, it's a Hispanic version of Lubbock. Have you ever been to Lubbock? <laughs> Lubbock is like the the shit kickerville of Crucis. Like it's just there ain't shit to do, but there's that one spot to go to, and that's the spot you go. Like cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. All right, Sean. Well, tell them what you got. You got an album that just dropped. You got a yeah. Send it bastard. You can find it on Amazon, Google Play, iTunes. You can find it on uh, um. You can find it on my website. And you have some more uh, videos coming out. What's the website? It's uh, Ascended Bastard, and it's uh, A-S-C-E-N-D-E-D, Bastard, like Inglorious Bastards, B-A-S-T-E-E-R-D, and that's that's how you find it. And, uh, man, I appreciate the, appreciate the support and the call, man. That was a good conversation. It was good in talking to another artist that understands this shit, you know what I mean? Versus yeah, yeah. some Push asshole up. with the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Sorry. I was calling you. I'm sorry. I'm on the other line. <laughs> sorry about that, Sean. No, you're good. All right, man. So I'm going to put this out. Check out the website. Um, I'm definitely going to have you on a lot. This is the first time I ever had a long conversation with you. No, nah, it's all good, man. It's good to bullshit with you. We do that a lot anyway, so it just it was just been online. <laughs> I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you back on for sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd be down. Uh All right. Good talking to you. Have a good night. Let me know how you do the same, brother. Okay. Salute, brother. Peace. With all due respect, fuck the irrelevant bullcrap. What you can do is blow a sucking elephant's ball sack. Matter of fact, slurp gorilla jizz through his worldly's raw. But a late night, an afternoon of the early morn, it really don't matter. Just go tongue juggle wolf nuts. Wash it down with moose cunt juice mixed with fruit punch. What I'm trying to say is fuck your haters and new chumps. Your bookie straight pussy, take a shit in your school lunch. From college type scholars to your kids watching goosebumps. Your mouth raped by skunk shovel, couching in huge chunks.